Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Managed print services to keep your printing costs down? Yeah, Digitex does that. D-I-G-I-T-E-X dot C-A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 132 in Edmonton. Welcome back, everybody. Oilers Now. Before we went to break, we we're in Oilers Now Trivia brought to you by Greta Global Street Food. Greta Bar, eat, drink, and play. Our question, what was the first team in NHL history to score 400-plus goals, and in what year did they do it? Back at the 630 Chet Studios. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Brendan Escott, what do you got? Well, it was the 1981-82 Edmonton Oilers. couple guesses in there for the 82-83 team. Uh, but K-Jam took care of that one for us. Hey, there you go, K-Jam. Smart guy, knows his stuff. Uh, what is interesting to me about what was accomplished that year is the Oilers had a five-game stretch during the regular season uh, that r- wrapped up actually on October the 29th check that, November the 29th, where the Edmonton Oilers, over five games, scored a combined 45 goals. They finished off by beating the Winnipeg Jets 10-2. Wayne Gretzky in those five games had 10 goals and 20 assists. I want you to think about that. The Oilers scored a combined 45 goals in those five wins. That is nine goals per game. Now, I was in grade 10 that year. Best three years of my life. And uh, it was, you could, after the 81 playoff series against Montreal and then in the, you know, six game series against the Islanders, you knew they were coming. And then they dominated the Smythe division the next year. In fact, ironically, they drafted Grant Fear and he supplanted Andy Moog as the number one goaltender. And Mark Messier became a star that year in the NHL. After teasing us with this power and then you know the orders would be the only team that would score 400 plus for the next several years it was ridiculous what they accomplished royal pizza pizza past and so much more edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years royal pizza offers curbside pickup and takeout options for a menu and a list of their 13 edmonton and area locations go online at royalpizza.ca or download the royal pizza app from the app store star for recommendation mediterranean chicken brendan escott's recommendation the texan He's all happy after the performance from Deshaun Watson on uh, Thursday last week against... Who were they playing? Were they playing Dallas? I'm trying to... Th- or was it Detroit? I can't even remember. Yeah, they had the lowly Detroit Lions who ended up getting their coach and GM fired. Lots of that going on in the NFL. There's four teams looking for uh, general managers. I don't know. Is our next guest capable of being a GM of uh, an NFL team? I don't know. Reed Wilkins joins us right now. How are you doing, Reed? 
I wouldn't put myself quite in that category, Bob, though I, I continue to plow through the uh, the Bill Parcells. But, you know, it's actually an autobiography. It's written from the third-person point of view, but it's par- Parcells and a co-author. So it's really an autobiography that they wrote from the third person. So it's it's pretty much from him, his perspective. And uh, it's funny, I'm a little past the halfway point now, and he was – not a man who could get along with uh, ownership. I mean, he eventually sort of burnt the bridge with the New York Giants. And then uh, I'm just at the part where his tenure with the New England Patriots is wrapping up. And he was, uh, you know, a a very, um, uh, he liked his authority. He liked things his way. And he didn't like uh, people meddling with uh, the draft or what players he wanted to have on the roster. But Robert Kraft eventually bought the Patriots while Parcells was there, and that relationship broke down pretty quickly. Interesting, Parcells, Bob, I didn't know this, had his own agreement with an apparel company for what he wore on the sidelines. So he got paid on his own for, for for the team gear, that uh, that he wore on the sidelines, which I think was pretty unique for an NFL coach at the time. One, one memory that this brought back for me, uh, being with his tenure with the Patriots, it goes all about Drew Bledsoe joining the team. And, of course, he was eventually supplanted by by Tom Brady, but Bledsoe eventually you know, became a really good quarterback and helped them get to the AFC Championship game uh, or to the Super Bowl where they lost to Green Bay. Uh, in 2004, I, I attended my first NFL game in Seattle with a buddy, and the Buffalo Bills, quarterbacked by Bledsoe, who was now there, absolutely blew out the, the Seahawks. I think it was 38-9. And uh, on our way home, my buddy and I are in, in line at the airport, and there's a, there's a gentleman in, in the line adjacent to us. And I was wearing a, an Edmonton Eskimos hat just with the logo on it. And this, this guy, who was probably you know, in his, in his 50s, says to me, uh, hey, you got, a, you got an Eskimos hat on. I was like, uh, yeah, are you, are you from Edmonton? He goes, no, I, I just, uh, I live in Montana, but I, I follow a lot of football. And I was like, oh, okay. Uh, he, he goes, how how they do this year? I said, well, you know, 500 and lost the playoff game weren't great, but they but they won the championship last year. He's like, yeah, the great cup. I, I know, I knew they won it. And I said, so like, uh, who's, your, who's your team then? He goes, well, I, I kind of like Buffalo now. And I was like, okay, well, my I said, my buddy and I were at the game yesterday. He goes, oh yeah, I was there too. And as he's saying this, he, he's reaching into his, his coat pocket and, and he passes me this this something. I'll tell you what it was. And he says to me, yeah, my boy was playing in that game. It's a, He hands me a picture of Drew Bledsoe. This was Drew Bledsoe's dad, Mac Bledsoe, who struck up a conversation with me because of my Eskimos hat. And then he casually tells me, oh, yeah, my boy was in this game. So the car, it was kind of like an oversized sports card. And it was autographed by, by Bledsoe, but it was, you know, a, a reproduced autograph. It wasn't one he'd actually signed. And then on the back, it just kind of said, hey, uh, you know, thanks for uh, sending me some fan mail. I can't reply to everybody specifically, but follow your dreams and all that kind of stuff. So it wasn't, uh, it was just sort of a, uh, the card they sent out if somebody sent uh, sent fan mail. And in that game, the the Bills had a fourth and about half a yard. 
And Bledsoe faked a quarterback sneak and lateral to Travis Henry, who ran for a touchdown. Like he, Bledsoe actually started like he was going to burrow ahead with the ball on a quarterback sneak. And then he stood up and threw it back and sideways to Henry, who was all alone for a touchdown. And I brought up that play. And according to Mac Bledsoe, he was like, oh, yeah, Drew told me they were going to try that this year. We used to do it in high school all the time. So, so anyway. All right. All right. Reed, there's Mac Reed, Bledsoe. Reed, here we go. You ready? Yes. Time time now for Reed Wilkins trivia based on your story. Okay. So you know I can't prep for this. I had no idea you're going in this direction. Right. How many children did Travis Henry have? <laughs> See, well, since you're asking me, I'm gonna have to assume it was a lot. I'll say eight. Eleven. Wow. What school what school did Drew Bledsoe, by the way, Travis Henry, I believe, played at Tennessee. What school did Drew Bledsoe play at? This is an easy one. Uh, he was out of uh, Washington State. Correct. Good job. Uh, what was the name of the player in the ESPN 30 for 30 short, the irrelevant giant, that made Bill Parcells emotional? It was a player that passed away, and this guy was drafted Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the 1983 draft. That's a real hard one. You would have to, yeah. Anyways, this player ended up passing away of, uh, I believe it was either leukemia or cancer. Uh, hey, you're I, looking it up. You're I, looking don't, it up. I am looking it up. I don't, I don't think it was in the book, but I want to see if I – yeah, I don't, I don't know who was it. It was John, John Tuggle. So he died. Yeah, he's, he's not mentioned in the book, at least not to this point. All right. So he was a player very near and sort of a guy that they'd cut and released a couple times that battled his way into the roster. Well, there you have it, Bill Parcells. You know, it's funny because I, I was uh, the Giants. I mean, to me, a lot of it had to do with their, the defense and the emergence of Lawrence Taylor. And, and, you know, he was an absolute playmaker. And, you know, we have a the, the, the left tackle as a result of Lawrence Taylor. That whole position is one of the most important positions in the NFL because because, of course, he, he broke Joe Theismann's leg, which did give us one of the great moments, the most, I, I don't think it would be considered politically incorrect now, but one of the fun, funniest moments ever on the David Letterman show, Reed, the, the Joe Theismann broken leg pencil sharpener. Did you ever see? <laughs> you know what? I, I, I mean, was big into laugh. Letterman, but that probably would have been before I started oh, uh, watching it. But, oh, yeah. yeah, it was it was. <laughs> I mean, it was, you know, Joe Theismann obviously played in the CFL for the Argos coming out of Notre Dame. And it was just, uh, it was one of Dave's better moments, to say the least, right up there with, who is the guy, was it uh, Dun, Was it uh, Griffin Dunn? What was the name of the actor that totally uh, freaked out Dave? There was no, a, no. Walking uh, Phoenix. Crispin Glover. Crispin, Crispin Glover. Glover. Yes, Crispin yeah, Glover. Yeah, almost kicked him in the face. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and upset, upset Dave. And then there was also, obviously, Joaquin Phoenix was a little. And then Madonna had an infamous appearance on the Letterman show as well. Uh, yeah. Where, where as she did got... Cher, she used to put, she used to put, I mean, she used to put Dave down all the time. And they kind of walked that line where you didn't know, okay, is this set up? Do, do they really hate each other? But then yeah. they... Near yeah. the end, they were pretty uh, friendly with each other. All right. Uh, hey, my trivia question today, the first team in NHL history to score 400-plus goals was the 81-82 winners. You, could you imagine what it would be like doing the post-game show of a hockey team that had scored 45 goals in five games, Reed? Uh, well, I, I can't because that's uh, that'd be a good month for most NHL teams right now. It was just that, that was such an incredible era. And that was I mean, you talk about the early 80s that that's when really I can remember 
watching hockey. I mean, I don't really remember the Canadians winning four in a row, though I was probably in front of the TV. I can certainly remember the Islanders being a good team and, and the Oilers rising up. And to me, that was that was hockey. It's like, yeah, well, the, the games are going to end 8-4. Your best players, like Gretzky, is going to get three, four, five points routinely in a night. And I, I can remember when I was relatively young, um, you know, talking to my my parents, and one of them said to me, you know, like, this is like hockey games used to be like three, one and two, one almost all the time. And I was like, what, what really? And then you have your sports almanac and you look up the scores from the 1950s playoffs or the sixties. And you realize like, Oh geez, this, this is really different. But those, those games were, they were so out of control almost. And then the goaltending to me, that's the, that's the biggest difference. Certainly stylistically, there are some changes and defensemen are more mobile and, and all that kind of stuff. There's more structure to the game, but you'll watch the old highlights and the goaltending is just, it, it doesn't even seem like it's the same position. I mean, you see, you, you see players taking mid range, relatively weak wrist shots and a goaltender standing and trying to kick out his skate to time it. And if he misses it, it, it goes uh, underneath him. So the, a lot of talent on the orders. I'm not, I'm not disputing that. I mean, they, they were the only team who scored at that rate, but there were more goals in general. And that's the one thing now, when I see old highlights compared to what it is now, and of course, goaltending equipment is a lot different, but just the style goaltenders played, like it seems obviously nowadays, goaltenders try to maximize their chances of making a save. You look at some of the techniques they used back in the eighties. It's almost like, are they trying to make it harder for themselves to, to stop the puck? But Gretzky's talent was unparalleled and the passes he could, he could make, and the vision he had on the ice was was really what separated him. And, and you see him now with you see now with the great passers in the league and Drysdale and McDavid right up there. How when when we're lucky enough to be able to watch from from the press box and you get that bird's eye view, and when you're that high up, you can you can see where the play should go. You know, like you, you have a great view of the lanes. And the Drysdale McDavid especially will try passes where even from that height you think well, this isn't going to work. What's he doing? And then he threads it through and it's a little lane only he saw. And that's what it was like to watch Gretzky play with, with his teammates in the eighties. You know, Reed, I can always tell when a media guy, and usually they're a little bit inexperienced, uh, disparages how good players are. I can tell when they've, when their experience has been watching on TV and then being on that press box because they've never been on the, like, do you know how good of a player? I'll give you an example. Jason Strudwick played 600 games in the NHL. He, he willed himself to do, do you know how good of a player you have to be to have that type of career? Like Ron DeLorme, uh, you know, we had him on as a guest. He did a great job talking about Fred, uh, Sakamus. Uh, but, you know, he played over 500 games in the NHL. Yeah, he could fight, but he could play. I mean, he was a dominant major junior player. We had people belittle a guy like Zach Stortini and to say, you know, thought that they could be a better skater than Zach Stortini. Zach Stortini was a 30-goal scorer in junior. Like, it's, it's un- I think at times people maybe underestimate just how how good you actually have to be, even to play major junior, even to have a three- or four-year career in major junior. It's and it it's a bit of a you know a reminder, but I'm I'm going to take you to a different path. You mentioned Wayne Gretzky. You talked about a bit about McDavid and Drysaddel. When I watched Mark Messier in his first two years in the NHL, I did not believe that he would go on and have a 25 year career. Now in year three, in 81-82, he emerged as a 50 goal scorer. 
okay, you thought he was going to be pretty good. How how much do you think Gretzky helped out Messier, Anderson, Curry? And conversely, could we theoretically, have we already seen that occur here at Edmonton with McDavid perhaps helping get Dreisaitl to a place where maybe some people didn't think he was going to? That's that's a really good question, Bob. I, I think with, I, I mean, yes, certainly you go back to the 80s. I, I think having Gretzky on the team elevated everybody because he was so good and, and so productive and was so uh, incredible at, at setting up his line mates. I think everybody realized, you know, what, what, what if I just increase my game by 5%, you know, what if I can be 5% better than I was last year? And, and plus we have Wayne, how much better is that going to be as a team? I, you know, I, I think we're still relatively early in the dry settle and McDavid story. I, you know, I, I often go back to to what Todd McClellan used to say all the time about Drysaitel, where he would encourage him to say, like, you can you can be the star, like you don't have to let Connor be the first star every night. I mean, you're you're pretty darn good yourself, and I think that that's an effect of McDavid, but I also think that's an effect of some of the off ice leadership that the Oilers have had as well pushing Dreisaitl in that direction. And look, let's not underestimate Dreisaitl's drive himself. I, I mean, we've we've been around Leon. He's he's an incredibly driven person. I, I think he's an incredibly confident person. And I, I think he realized that that he can be that too and that he can he can be a, a big part of the engine as well. So yeah, I, I think it's a, a variety of different factors for Dreisaitl. I, I don't want to say it's just because he's on the same team as Connor, because I, I would like to think that McDavid, uh, that Dreisaitl is talented enough and that he's driven enough that if that if he were on, you know, just hypothetically another team, he's he still could have hit a pretty high level, just because I, I think that is is a lot of his his personality. I think he has a bit of that. Um, I don't want to say chip on his shoulder, but I, I do think he has a, a bit of that. Okay, you criticize me on Monday, I'm going to go on Wednesday and get four points and shut you up. I mean, we've seen him be a little uh, surly with the media at times, quite frankly. But but I think that's part of the the fuel that he has. And I'm going to tie this back to a to a Parcells comment, Bob. What a Bill Parcells comment is: if they don't bite as puppies, they they're probably never going to bite. And I, I think Dreisaitl has a bit of that bite to his personality, and that's helped them too. Well, this texter has some bite on the Ashley Fine Floors text line. He says, Dreisaitl, question mark, lazy, selfish, petulant child. That's what the texter says about the reigning MVP in the NHL. Okay. Yeah, I, I've never, I've never really understood that. Um, Nor have I. The, the the lazy Leon thing. I, I look. I think I think Drysaddle at at times in his career has been prone to very visible frustration when he's had some tough outings. I, I don't there, think we've Reed, seen it as Reed, much. There, Reed, there's been frustrating times. In fairness to the players, like I mean, Taylor Hall was prone to it as well as the Oilers struggled. Sure. The Oilers had a bad seventeen eighteen and, and a bad eighteen eighteen. And, and, and Bob, and Bob, what's what's the counter? And, and this is where, um, I mean, you you referenced me doing the post game show. That's that's where I feel where sometimes I just feel like I want to say to listeners, okay, you know what? Everybody get together and decide what the standard is. Because, you know, Rob Brown always used to say, okay, Taylor Hall is criticized for having a bad shift or being on the ice for goal against and going back to the bench and slamming the door shut. 
and people say he's too emotional. Justin Schultz gives up a goal uh, or is on the ice for a goal against and would skate to the bench and not show a lot of emotion, and he would get criticized for not having any fire. So, like, which is it? You know, you can't. they can't both be wrong if that's if that's how you want to criticize guys. Leon's not a lazy player. I mean, yeah, sometimes he makes mistakes. Sometimes he, 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 he might turn over the puck. Well, welcome to pro hockey. I mean, it happens to everybody at, at the highest level. He, he's, he's not a lazy player. Like, it's just that that's a complete myth. Like, that's not even – I realize people can have different opinions, but that's not an opinion. That's, that's blatantly incorrect. All right, well, and I'll throw this at you. Talking about standards, I think of watching in the 1980s, Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier uh, work the officials and the language that at times was deployed and contrast that with today. And, you know, let's just say the officials of the 1980s had a significantly longer fuse before they teed somebody up than this generation of officials where at times, and we've seen it in Edmonton because the Oilers have got two great young stars, we, we've, seen, we've seen some guys overreact from an official's perspective. At like I don't see McDavid hounding and haranguing officials the way Wayne Gretzky and Mark Messier did, and those guys didn't always use PG-13 to sort of present their perspective. You know what I'm saying? So there's an example. Of, I mean, Wayne and Mark, they showed frustration. Kevin Lowe showed frustration, came with the territory, and I think people are less tolerant to that today, and I think officials show us an illustration of that. Well, I, I, I think obviously I, I'm pretty sure what – event is is in your mind when mcdavid got the abusive officials uh, penalty during the shootout against calgary for telling them to go upstairs to, was to that check Steve whether Kazari? That was, was that kazari uh i think so i'd have i'd have to go back and double check yeah i mean well it's funny yeah gretzky used that and that's you know talking about great players getting criticized i can remember that from a kid gretzky being criticized for maybe going after officials for too much or, you know, some people's called and said that he was whining sometimes, but I, I think that that's, that's the gamesmanship. That's, that's part of it. Quite quite frankly, I would, from the current Oilers, I wouldn't mind seeing a little more of that. Like maybe going to a guy and being like, what are we, what are you, what are you doing here? Yeah, it was Steve Kazari, by the way, who uh, runs an officiating school. Does a very good job with it. I hear. All right. Hey, I cut you off there. Uh, What do you got coming tonight on inside sports? Uh, Blake Dermott going to ask him what it would be like for him to wake up and find out that his uh, wide receiver is playing quarterback. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, Everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. And uh, we'll have some other fun, too. Double E Coaches shows at 730. Thanks a lot, Reid. Thanks for doing the show. See you.
That's uh, our Inside Sports host and host of Oilers Pre and Post on the Oilers Radio Network, Reed Wilkins, Bob Stoffer, and Brendan Escott with you. And we have, uh, oh, we have a, I, wait, we have a story to tell around a game as we go to this day in Oilers history. Back at the 630 Chad Studios is Brendan Escott. Back in 1997, the Oilers hammered the San Jose Sharks. Sorry, Phil, in a game that saw five fights. George LaRock uh, fought Barry Potomsky twice. Greg DeVries fought, uh, fought uh, Owen Nolan twice. Jason Arnott with two goals and an assist for Edmonton. Uh, Doug Wade had four helpers of his own. Our all right, greatest missed opportunity ever in terms of a nickname, Barry Potomsky. If ever there was a player who should have been known as Battleship, it should have been Barry Potomsky. Do you know why, Mr. Escott? I don't. You didn't take film studies at uh, the university you went to there? And uh, Where'd you go to school again? Was it Northern BC? UNBC, is that where you went? TRU, Thompson Rivers. Thompson and, uh, Rivers. No, I, I you never to took... avoid that elective. Type up uh, Battleship Potomkin for you, okay? And it's uh, one of the greatest Russian films ever made back in about, uh, I'm thinking sometime between about 1918 and 1923, 24. And around that time, it is a staple of any uh, film studies course that is uh, held uh, in terms of university level across the country. Reed Wilkins again has Inside Sports coming up tomorrow on Oilers Now. Mark Spector for the Horses and Horse Racing Alberta. They present live standard bread racing Saturday and Sunday from Century Mile. Watch and wager online at hbibet.com. Horse Racing Alberta, caring for our horses, contributing to our economy. And from ESPN, Emily Kaplan will be on tomorrow's show as well. This afternoon on the 630 Shed Afternoons with Jalen and I, a group of Edmonton Doctors have created a new strategic COVID-19 pandemic response committee to research and recommend medical guidance to provide public information to Albertans. Committee co-chair and former Alberta Chief Medical Officer of Health, Dr. James Talbot, will join Jayla and I after the 2 o'clock news. The Global News Weather Traffic Update up next with Eileen Bell. So long, everybody, from Oilers Now. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon. On Oilers Radio, 630 Chad.